Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. One of the overriding themes of 2 Corinthians is this idea of comfort. Comfort and encouragement. I don't think there's a one of us in here tonight that every once in a while, we, we just need a word of comfort. We just need a word of encouragement. Man, the, the enemies just beat us down and beat us down and beat us down. And we've just had struggles. We just need a word of encouragement. We need a word of comfort. And that really and truly is the overriding theme of 2 Corinthians. Pastor David introduces us to the book of 2 Corinthians today. If there's one theme found in this book, it would be comfort. Paul uses the word comfort consistently throughout 2 Corinthians as he addresses the issues between the church and himself. This is a good reminder because in the midst of trials of ministry and life, the comfort of God is needed. Experiencing this comfort and fulfilling the purpose of your life comes through trusting solely in God. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, A Severe Call. In fact, in most commentaries, when you, when you look and you read what Paul writes and how he writes as he's writing in 1 Corinthians, he writes about a letter that he had already sent. So that would have been first. So 1 Corinthians actually becomes 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, he's writing about another letter. So there's probably a third one in there. So there's at least four letters to the Corinthians, but we have two of them. Kind of help us understand the whole flow of uh, the visits and the letters uh, of of Paul dealing primarily with the church here in Corinth. Uh, In in summary, they they start out, his first visit to Corinth happened somewhere around AD 51-52, somewhere in that near. So about 20 years after the crucifixion of Christ. The first letter to the Corinthians happened around 53, about a year or so after he had left there, and he found out that all this stuff was going on that he had to start correcting there in 1 Corinthians. His second letter to Corinth, which is actually our 1 Corinthians, because remember, there's these that we didn't get. So 1 Corinthians was actually written about 55, so about two years later. So we're finding this man about every two years or so, he's trying to create, no, it's even worse than that. Because his second visit to Corinth, the one that he speaks about being a painful visit, comes in between 55 and 56 AD. As a matter of fact, not only the second visit, but then he writes a third letter, one that we have lost, sometime before 56. So again, between 55 and 56 AD, not only did he visit them, but he also sent them another letter. Now we get to the fourth letter of Corinthians, which is actually our second 
Corinthians. Are you confused yet? Okay. That's in 56 AD, they figure. So between his first visit in, in, in 51, 52, when he was there for about a year and a half, 18 months. So let's say from 52, his first visit when he, when he left there. He's come back and visited them another time. Plus, he sent a couple of letters to them trying to get these guys straightened up. Why? Because of the situations that was going on. Finally, he came his third visit right after he sent 2 Corinthians to them, the fourth letter. So all of this thing, within about a five to six year time frame, Corinth was a church that Paul founded. He had spent a year and a half there grounding and establishing the church. And if you would think, man, that's the apostle Paul. He had it going. I mean, this is, this is like the super apostle, and he, you had a year and a half of him pouring into your lives? You ought to have your act together by then. But less than a year after he left is when he's writing, man, you guys got all these cliques going. You're saying you're of Apollos, you're of Paul, you're of Peter, you're of Jesus. You got all that, man. You're suing each other. You're putting up with sexual immorality within the church, and you're proud of the fact that you're all-inclusive and everything. And so he's jumping on him for that in less than a year after he leaves. A lot of problems began to rise up in that fellowship. And they weren't, the, the church itself wasn't handling them very well. At first, he sent Timothy there to help straighten things out, but that didn't work real well. He had to continue on with the letters and the visits. The church communicated with Paul through other letters that we don't have, but we have kind of Paul's responses to those letters in his writings here. Also, the messengers that came from there, whether those from Corinth or others that had passed through, Titus brings a good report a little bit later. That helps Paul understand what's going on there with the instructions that he gives to the church, his declaration that, again, he hoped to soon visit them. There was this great hope that the church would get back on the right path. But you know what? It just didn't seem to be the case. It just seemed like there was this constant, constant battle. Now, let me, give, let me give a little bit of grace to Corinth, okay? Corinth was a church that was in a combination environment of, you know, the, the, the craziness of New York City, the craziness of San Francisco, and a little bit of Sodom and Gomorrah all mixed up into it, okay? So they had all this idol worship going on, all this sexual immorality going on. It's not like, you, you know, you had to go and search this stuff out. Matter of fact, man, you just go out on the streets and it's everywhere. We lived in Las Vegas for a short time. I was at a church up there and even at that time when we lived there, the billboards were just like, whoa. You know, it's kind of like, man, I can't believe that they're putting that on the billboards. Now, if any of you have been in Las Vegas since then, and that was like way back in the 1900s that we were there. <laughs> but for those of you that have been there recently, from what I understand, it's even worse. Can you imagine seeing worse than that on a regular basis, all the time, and you're trying to be a child of God, and you're being bombarded because all of your family worship these pagan gods, and they wonder what in the world's wrong with you. You go over to mom's house for dinner on, on Sunday. She's got all the pagan you know, idols all over the place. Your brothers and your sisters are there, and they're wondering, how come you're worshiping this one God that supposedly rose? So all of this battle is going against you. 
continual attack. So Corinth had a tough job. There's no doubt about that. Well, Paul had told him, I wanted to come visit you. In what we have as 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, I, I, I want to come soon and visit you. But instead of that intended visit and to be able to spend some time with him, Paul had this very hurried, very short visit in an effort to try and remedy some of the situation that was going on, some of the misunderstandings, because some were saying this about Paul, some were saying that, how to deal with problems. Following that short visit, he wrote what could be called a severe letter Titus brought this one to them at that point in time, and that's the one that's between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We don't have a copy of that letter. Apparently, several issues were dealt with, very, very direct by the apostle. Paul was finally able to meet up with Titus, leaving from Macedonia. He was on his way to Corinth. We can read all about this in in the book of Acts. Ladies, you'll get there eventually on the women's Bible study as you're going through Acts. When he finally finds Titus, Titus gives him a firsthand report of the events, the activities of the church. And actually, the report he received from Titus was actually mostly good and in in response to that, then Paul writes to the church again the letter that we know as 2 Corinthians. Okay, so that kind of brings you up to speed of what's going on prior to this. Now, it's clear that there's several reasons for this letter. If you read through the letter, you find a few things that really jump out at you. First of all, it's a reminder of some of the personal struggles that Paul himself had endured. That's the reason I started this message tonight and this teaching tonight about the troubles that a pastor goes through. Because Paul, man, he dealt with these firsthand much more than any pastor here would ever go through. We see still in chapter one, there's a great deal of confusion about Paul's change of plans. Why did you only come and stay for a while? You were supposed to come. Apparently, there was some communication that, man, they were really frustrated that he didn't stay long enough. So he sought to try and set the record straight that, man, some events happened that kept him from coming and doing what he wanted to do. You get into second uh, chapter there it's a call for the church to restore that man. Remember in, in, in 1 Corinthians, the guy that uh, in sexual immorality, he was sleeping with his dad's wife, okay, so like his stepmom. And Paul said, man, you're letting that go on, and you guys are proud of the fact that you're, you know, hey, you know, we, we don't want to be judgmental with the guy. And Paul says, get the guy out of the church. He, he's messing up the witness that you have. Well, they followed what he told them to do. They kicked him out of the church. Well, now in, in chapter two, Paul comes back and says, hey, let the brother back in. If his heart's changed, don't just cast him out forever if he's repented and turned back. Otherwise, he'll get to the point where, man, it's just useless. I'm gone. I'm, I'm toast. There's, there's no hope for me. No, you got to give hope for somebody. And for you and I, man, what a great message that is for you and I. You don't have time to go into it tonight. But just think about this. When somebody falls within our fellowship, when somebody struggles and stumbles and falls into sin, are we willing to spend the time to see, number one, have they repented? Is there, is, there, is there repentance there? And then are we willing to accept them back into the fellowship? Or do we always hold in the back of our mind, oh, you've got to watch him. Oh, you've got to watch her. See, Paul says, no, you need to let that brother back in. You need to give him some hope, you know, that he can be restored completely. In chapters 3 and chapter 4, there seems to be a need to vindicate his own. Paul needs to vindicate his own character and reestablish for the Corinthians of all people his call as an apostle. 
This is the guy that started the church. But you see, these false teachers have come in that said that they were apostles that weren't. And Paul said, no, listen, I'm going to reestablish my place as an apostle. So again, it gives him not only the responsibility, but it gave him authority that he had to make corrections within the church. Chapters 5 and chapter 6, there's, there's clarifications of uh, some of the, the known hardships just of, of being a believer that, you know what, in, in the world, it's, it's, the world's against us. And there's going to be known hardships to be a believer. In some cases, in some uh, societies, it's a whole lot worse than you and I have ever had. But I believe also that we need to be prepared to be able to stand for that. We need to understand the glorious reward that awaits us in being faithful. In chapters 8 and 9, he wrote two full chapters in response to Christian stewardship about our freedom and also our responsibility to support the work of God's kingdom. We've touched on that the last couple of weeks. Chapter 10, uh, he writes about the reality of, of spiritual warfare, but yet also the authority that is ours in Christ. In chapter 11, he goes back to the attacks from the false prophets and again, Paul's own standing as an apostle. In chapter 12, he speaks about the, the vision uh, and that, that he had, man. He, he had sent up into the heavenlies, the third heavens. Again, he speaks about that, and we'll cover it when we get there. He also speaks about that thorn in the flesh that he had. He also speaks about the love that he has. And then chapter 13, Paul once again promises to come again to the Corinthian church. He says, but this time, man... I don't want to come with a heavy hand. I don't want to come in bringing correction. I want to come and just love on you guys. I just want to have fellowship with you. He wants to come in with a heart of gentleness. Well, even with all of the corrections, all of the instruction Paul gave them in this letter, even with all the acknowledgement of the, all the trials within his own life, within his own ministry, one of the overriding themes of 2 Corinthians is this idea of comfort. Comfort and encouragement. I don't think there's a one of us in here tonight that every once in a while, we just need a word of comfort. We just need a word of encouragement. Man, the, the enemies just beat us down and beat us down and beat us down. And we've just had struggles everywhere. We just need a word of encouragement. We need a word of comfort. And that really and truly is the overriding theme of 2 Corinthians. He uses a word all throughout it. It's the word parakaleo, the Greek word parakaleo. The direct interpretation of that is kaleo, to be called along, uh, to be called, and then para, meaning alongside of, parakaleo, being called alongside of. That's the word that's translated comfort. The comfort that he has, he uses that word being called alongside of. Again, it's the comfort of one another. It's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's the comfort and the knowledge of knowing that, man, God's got this thing that I don't need to stress, that God has it. He goes on, he uses that verb about 18 times. He uses it in the noun form 11 times. And in the midst of all that that Paul had gone through, he himself knew for sure where comfort and encouragement would come from, not only for himself, 
but also for the church there in Corinth. As you're going through all these trials, as you're trying to stand for Christ in the midst of such a pagan environment around you, your comfort and your encouragement is going to come from the Lord, not in, in the things that you see, not in the votes that have been cast, not in the financial status of anything, not in any other thing. Your comfort and your encouragement needs to be within the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians is a letter of struggles. It's, it's a letter of instruction. It's a letter of correction. It's a letter of re-validation of his position as an apostle. It's a letter of fellowship. And it's a letter of encouragement. All typical in the life of a pastor. And that's what Paul is writing to this church. Why? Because he has the heart of a pastor. Though he's an apostle, he has the heart of a pastor to a church that, I guarantee you, there's a lot of pastors that are in the ministry today that would have left it long ago and gotten a job at Walmart because of all the issues that were going on in that church. We're not going to get a chance to get very far into it, but look at the first verse, chapter 1, with me real quick. He writes, Paul, yes, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Most likely this was written near the end of his stay in Ephesus. His stay in Ephesus again was ended because of that riot that Demetrius the silversmith caused. We read about that in Acts 19. Once again, Paul confirms that his calling is by the will of God, it's not by man. As I said earlier, or at least alluded to, woe be to the man that enters into the ministry through the call of man. Okay, It's because, man, you're a great speaker. You ought to be a pastor. Don't do it. Don't do it. You have such a compassion for people, you would make a great pastor. Don't do it. Don't do it. But if the call of God comes, you say, man, I can't speak very well. I stutter like Moses. I... Man, I don't really have that much passion for people. I feel like Paul does. Man, I'm going to just go and then and, and charge in there. But if God is calling you, he can, make, he can bring about all those other things. Timothy, he says, along with Timothy. Timothy, his young son in the ministry, now with him at, at, at this point in time. And Timothy eventually is going to be sent back to Ephesus to pastor the church there. Timothy was either led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul or as a very young convert, Paul discipled him and grew him up. Paul was very instrumental one way or another in, in the discipleship of Timothy. Elsewhere, Paul refers to Timothy as my true son in the faith. And all in all, Timothy was not only a son in the faith, but he was a protege. And he was also, as he says here, Timothy, our brother. He was a brother to Paul. Paul didn't have this feeling of, you know, I'm the super apostle and I've got this little kid running around with me named Timothy. No, he brought Timothy up and he brought himself down. He said, man, we are brothers in the Lord. And that's the way 
all the body of Christ needs to look at each other. That again, none of us have, you know, such a connection and such a standing, but that we are brothers and sisters together in the Lord. Now again, this letter is primarily directed to the church at Corinth, but as Corinth was the capital of the re- the region that's called Achaia, uh, the issues of Corinth were probably also the very same issues that were happening throughout Achaia, and they needed the instruction of the letter. And he says here, to all the saints who are in Achaia, all the saints. I don't know what your background in church is, and I'll, I'll finish with this. But what is a saint? Number one, the, the word there that, that's used for saint is agios. Agios, which has the meaning of set apart and or holy and or sanctified. And you know what? When you and I come to Christ, guess what? We get set apart, set out of the world, and then set unto the Lord. That's what that whole idea, sanctified, is. The being set apart from the world, being set unto the work of God. And you and I, when we, before we came to Christ, we were in the world and completely of the world, but when Christ saved us, it's like he took us and says, you know what, you're no longer a part of this over here. You are now a part of this over here. You're now a saint. That's what a saint is. It's not that you performed any miracles. Maybe one or two of you have. I don't know. That's not the deal. There's no special, the the only special thing is again, being born again into the kingdom of God. We are called saints all through the New Testament. And as a matter of fact, even in the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied about the saints. Uh, Revelation speaks about the saints. These aren't super Christians. These are knuckleheads like you and I. Man, one day we're shining great, and the next thing we're wondering, man, what in the world happened today? You don't feel like a saint all the time, do you? No. I, I still feel sometimes like I'm over there. But no, he says, I've been set apart. Why? because it's the work that he's done. He has set me apart. He has set you apart for special purpose. And so when he writes to the saints, he's not writing to super Christians someplace. He's writing to men and women who are struggling in the culture that they live, and he's going to encourage them. He's going to speak to them comfort. He's going to speak to them blessing. He's going to speak to them encouragement. He's going to speak to them uh, instruction. He's going to speak to them correction, because I don't care how long you've been a, a Christian. I don't care how long you've been a saint. We all need it, don't we? We need instruction. We need correction. We need encouragement. We need comfort. Every one of us. None of us are, are, are immune, whether you be an apostle. Man, man, we've been pressed and pushed even to the point that our very life was on the line. Or a pastor, or a truck driver, or a nail driver, or you driving a desk, or you changing diapers, or whatever the case might be. We're all in that boat together. And Paul writes this letter. That's why we can take the Word of God that was written 2,000 years ago, and we can bring it, and we can apply it to our life even right now. Why? Because it is a living Word, living and vital for us, even tonight. Open up.
That's all the time we have for today on The Open Word. We hope today's message has touched you. Pastor David Landry will continue teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians on the next edition of The Open Word. But right now, we'd like to share how you can hear more from Pastor David. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings to hear or download past messages. You can also get in contact with us with any questions you might have, or let us know how we can be praying for you on your faith journey. You can also connect with us on Facebook. We're thankful that you've listened to today's message, but want to make sure that this isn't your only source of spiritual nurturing. We encourage you to find a church family who will help you grow in your walk with God. If you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet Saturday nights at 6.30, Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can find our address and our directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links at the bottom of the page to our church website. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Open Word.